Welcome back to Office Politics. I am your host, Jasmine Reed Clark, and this is the space where we talk about life after the offer letter. In today's episode, we are going to get in to a topic that captivated my attention, my obsession, and way too much of my time in 2020, and that is anti-MLM content or anti-multi-level marketing content. If you are unfamiliar, there are multi-level marketing schemes or MLMs. There is a a ton of information on them, but essentially they are at their worst pyramid schemes and scams, but I think at best just a very interesting business model that more than 90% of people fail at. That said, it has brought in a wide a spectrum of reception. Some people hate them, some people love them, some people love to hate them, but regardless of where you fall, you likely have some sort of opinion on it. So to show my hand a little bit early, I do, no matter what, will always have empathy for people who get caught up in MLMs. I've lost casual friendships to them. Hell, I've even been enticed by them. Um, In fact, I was a freelance copywriter at an MLM, (laughs) a travel one. So, but I mean, the whole time I was like, oh, this is bullshit. Don't bullshit me. Bullshit. Bullshit. (laughs) Bullshit. 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 Anyway, I wanted to bring on a person who can really share their full experience. And that is Josie or Not the Good Girl on YouTube. The reason I found her is because there was someone I was following on Instagram and she started telling me about her hair business. And I thought, oh my gosh, that's so cool. She's a writer like me. How did she launch launch her own hair business? Um, spoiler alert, it was Monet. And I started typing in reviews and that's how I got so enthralled in, in the rabbit hole that is anti-MLM content. But Josie's content is different. Unlike some of the people who, I'm going to be honest, have made a career out of bashing other people, she is somebody who has seen both sides of the coin. She has been at the top 1% of more than one MLM. She lived the good life, was making those six-figure paychecks, and she walked away from it all at the top. And for very good reason. So in today's episode, we are going to get into how she got into MLMs, how she got out, why she got out, and what she's been doing now. We're also going to talk about what you can do if you are feeling like you're losing your loved ones to MLMs and what we think the government could be doing to better protect those who are truly just trying to make a little extra side income. Now, when you are done, I would love it if you would go leave a review and just say what you think about the episode, what your favorite episode of this season has been so far that really helps um, my channel so much. But with that, let's get into today's episode. Okay, Josie, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I've been really looking forward to our conversation. Um, I was telling you offline how I found you, and it is because I follow someone who's in the public eye, um, and she started talking about this hair care product, and she was showing these like truly, truly amazing transformation uh, pictures, and 
long story short, I did a little Googling, a little sleuthing um, after DMing her and it was very I quickly found out it was an MLM. Um, I actually went to YouTube, type in MLM and this particular company's name, and I found your content, and it was specifically your video, Why I Quit the MLM Industry at the Top, and then I was hooked. I was sucked in, Um, (laughs) which, by the way, your production value, very high. I'm like, is this? she should be a videographer. Um, But I want to hear from you, like, what created you to – excuse me, what inspired you to create this content showing a peek behind the curtain, especially when you didn't have to? For me, I had been trying to stay quiet Mm -hmm. for a long time and not speak out against the MLM industry because I was still, for lack of a better word, brainwashed with all the toxic positivity that I had been indoctrinated Mm -hmm. with those six years in the MLM industry. And I thought that if I was even slightly critical of the MLM industry, that I was a bad, negative bitter person Mm -hmm. who would not succeed in my life because by complaining about something, then I would only attract those bad things to me, which I no longer believe that way at all. Um, I think that's a very toxic mindset and it just, it's toxic positivity, basically the thought that you always have to be happy. You always have to be joyful and you can only speak about good things. That's not real life. (laughs) Amen. And, you know, I had been struggling with a lot of depression since I left. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a really hard time. And I was just trying to pick up the pieces of my life and move on and forget Mm -hmm. about it. But I was constantly, back when I had social media, I was still being inundated almost daily with people coming in my inbox, DMing me, being like, hey, hon, (laughs) (laughs) you should join my team. (laughs) And I just wanted to warn them. I wanted to warn them so bad. And sometimes I would, I would be like, Hey, I was in the top 1% of the MLM industry. Like I I know what you're doing. I know you're trying to recruit me to your team and I am warning you. It's so toxic. It's so stressful. It's really hard. Like this is not going to end well for you. Absolutely. And usually when I would say something like that, they would either just like disappear, like, okay, I know it's a no, bye. And like <laughs> on to the next, <laughs> on to the next person. But I once had one girl who she was in the top, at the top of like, uh, uh, was, it might've been unique. It was some makeup company and she's gorgeous. She was a beauty queen. She was like a freshman or sophomore in college. I had seen her videos floating around online before because she had a large following. And I think I don't know how she messaged me. I don't know if I clicked like on one of her posts by accident one day, but she messaged me. And so I told her all of that. I just said, I was exactly where you are. And I'm saying it's not going to end well. And so to my surprise, she actually wrote back and said, yeah, you're right. It's really, really stressful and put a sad face. And I just was like, oh, my heart just went out to her. And I like tried to say something else like, you know, if you need any, if you ever need to talk or anything, like I can tell you my experience, like it's really hard and they're going to be putting you through a lot of unnecessary stress. And, and then she never replied, Oh, which is fine. I, hmm. I get it. Um, but you know, I just tried to stay silent, but every day, like whenever I would get one of those messages, I would be so upset and I would feel like my chest would get hot. I would get this like flash of anger and I would just, I would feel sick. I would, it was almost like PTSD symptoms. Oh, like absolutely. I just wanted to leave that industry behind. And it was like, I couldn't because anywhere I looked, it was everywhere. If it was everywhere online, 
It was in the DMs. And then if I'm driving out in the, you know, in my car to go to the damn grocery store, there's an SUV with the, the logos on the back of the decals of their company. <laughs> yes. Uh, we we're in Dallas and we see those pink Cadillacs around yeah. quite a bit. So I, yeah, I mean, it's everywhere. And I remember when I was around and I'll answer your question in a second. Oh, Sorry, I'm fine. going on a no, tangent. No, no, this is everything. But I remember around year five for me, probably, I'll just say it was around 2018. Mm-hmm. I was around 2018 and I started becoming really disillusioned with the MLM industry. I had had a panic attack, which that's not a normal thing for me. Everybody's, everybody's body handles stress differently. Yeah. I had only had two panic attacks in my life ever. And they were due to like significant things like somebody dying. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so when I had a panic attack, <laughs> when I was standing over a bunch of product that I have to package and ship out. And like, (laughs) I'm just like, this isn't normal. This isn't healthy. And my, my doctors had already told me a couple years earlier, they were like, your blood pressure is high. We need to put you on medicine. And I just like, no, what do you mean? Like, I'm happy. (laughs) Oh, that toxic positivity (laughs) again. (laughs) Toxic positivity. There it is. And they're just like, no, your blood pressure is ridiculously high. We need to put you on statins. And I just was like, oh no, I'm fine. And so (laughs) it was all catching up with me. And I was just, I was in my third company at the time and I had been in the top 1% of the three companies that I had been in. So I had, I had peeked behind the curtain of all of Mm -hmm. them and guess what? None of them were different. And then because I had been in for so long, so many years, I had also been talking to a lot of other one percenters, um, in different companies. Cause we would all like chitter chatter behind the scenes, like, Mm -hmm. Hey, what kind of bonuses does your company give? Mm -hmm. Like just as like Mm -hmm. in the background, like should something ever happen, you know? And uh, somebody who's in the top 1% isn't going to join under somebody who's not in the top 1%. So that's why we were talking just in case. Okay. I didn't even know that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It was a backup plan just in case somebody were to, something were to happen with our company and it was to go kaput and we needed somewhere to go and take our downline. So I was seeing that these other one percenters were not happy or miserable. Um, my two uplines who had been millionaires, um, they were so sick. Uh, one had to have a blood transfusion. What? The other, um, she was bleeding um, daily. And like at our retreat, there was blood in the bed sheets of our Airbnb. Oh. Her doctors didn't know if she had Crohn's or like rectal cancer, but they kept the, both of their doctors kept saying, we don't know exactly what's going on, but we believe this is caused by stress. And it was things like that, that I was just seeing all the time, all the time. And I also realized what was being preached wasn't what was actually Mm -hmm. happening. And, you know, I had been hustling nonstop. Like you will never work as hard as you work in a cult. (laughs) 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 I mean, in a cult, you're going to work so hard. It's like, you will be able to handle anything after getting out of that. And so I just was exhausted. And I was like, what is this financial freedom they talk about where we finally get to like rest and enjoy life? You know, when is it? Because I'm seeing the millionaires. It's not even happening for them. And so I left that industry and I just was trying to just not think about it, not talk about it. And I kind of felt like a failure too, because I had been successful in it. And I, I had believed for so long that network marketing was the way. Um, but I just, uh, something was just pulling me away. And it was like, no, you got to get out of this. This is so bad. This is so bad. And uh, when I would tell like my friends or family, 
they would be like, yeah, it seems like a lot of work, but they didn't really understand yeah. it because they hadn't mm-hmm. been in it. And they didn't understand all the cult-like tactics that had yeah. been used on me. I didn't even understand it at that point. But I had been gone for a while and then the pandemic happened. And so I had been gone for over a year at that point when the pandemic started. And I was so upset because I would see on social media, Mm -hmm. all these people being like, see, this is why I do this. This is why I'm building my own dream and why I'm my own CEO with this network marketing company and why I'm going to take it to the top. And this is why I have this residual income because you never know what's going to happen in the world and your job doesn't care about you. And this is how you reach Mm -hmm. financial freedom. And Mm -hmm. they were just preying on all these scared, scared people who were losing their jobs, who were losing family members Mm -hmm. and friends who were getting super sick. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the, the toxic toxicity that was happening in our uh, civil unrest and politics, it was a nightmare. And I just thought to myself, okay, if you take out the MLM and you put everything we went through in 2020 on somebody that's a lot to deal with. But if you add the MLM experience into that, that could be enough to break somebody. I could not agree with you more. And it was, so honestly, I ignorantly thought MLMs weren't even a thing anymore until I feel like with 2020, they popped up all over again, or at least in my feed and in my sector of the internet. And what you said, people were preying on us as followers. And they would say things like, you know, that stimulus check just hit, here's what you should be doing with it. And that's when I'm like, ma'am, you should not be giving out financial advice, period. But please don't tell people to put it into this business. Because even like what you just said, you all as one percenters would try to have your backup plans because if that company goes under, I mean, you might think it's quote unquote your business, but you know, your quote unquote business goes along with it. Right. And I, I was so upset and I just felt like, okay, you've tried to stay quiet. You have stayed quiet this whole time, but like, I just, I couldn't stay quiet anymore. And I just thought I'm just going to make a video Mm -hmm. and I'm going to share my experience from the top and what I witnessed. And I'm just going to put it out there in case, in hopes that somebody watches it and it, it helps somebody maybe not make the mistakes that I did by joining this predatory industry. And I remember filming it and I like kept having to run to the bathroom because I was so nervous. My nerves were just shot and I would get sick and then I would like try and go back to filming. I was so scared to put this out there, which is really sad. It just shows you what a cult it is when somebody's so scared to speak out. Mm -hmm. And, and so I put it out on YouTube and I did not like I I had already been monetized on YouTube. I had already um, had like a tiny, tiny following. There was like I think maybe two thousand subscribers at the time, mm-hmm. and I but I hadn't ever tried really building YouTube. Like I would just whatever videos I would make for my team or for Facebook because uh, that's where I did a lot of my marketing. I would just throw them up on YouTube, so mm-hmm. they were kind of like all over the place, no niche, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> And, but I wasn't focused on building YouTube because everything that I had to do as a top one percenter needed to, my team needed to be able to duplicate it and, and quickly in MLM, they like to say success, love speed. (laughs) (laughs) And 
And so it's, it's exhausting, but that's the mindset in it. And so, you know, editing a video and filming and all that, that's not something that's super quick and easy for people to learn to do or to duplicate. Mm -hmm. And so I just remember I had already deleted all of the videos that were MLM videos on my channel because I used to put up, uh, my last company was a skincare and cosmetics company, and I would put up uh, beauty tutorials and show the product that I was using in the video. And of course, they could buy it from me using my link below. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew like, after I left, I was like, you know, I was making like a teeny bit of money from them. But it's still money, like nothing to, you know, get get down on. And but I I just knew I, I don't believe in this industry anymore. I think it's so toxic. And I so I had deleted all those videos. And I remember putting up my anti-MLM video, just warning people and thinking, okay, these 2,000 subscribers, I, they're, it's going to go to zero. Like, <laughs> it's going to go to, everyone's going to be like, screw you. Right. You're a liar. Yeah. You lied those six years. Like, you're, you're a bitter, toxic person. <laughs> oh, my gosh. No. And I just was like, it's, it is what it is. And I just put it out there. I did not expect the uh, feedback I got from it, I did not expect any of it. Um, and I'm just so happy and yeah. thankful that there's a conversation around it. Now. Well, and even your videos specifically, I would encourage everyone, even if you're not in an MLM or have an interest in being in one, there's a lot of parallels between like hustle culture as well, where Ugh, you, yeah. yeah, like they shame I mean, and I've experienced this out my nine to five, but you get shamed if you don't make a company your whole identity. So some of the tactics we just, cause I come from startup land and I've been in startups almost my entire career. And don't get me, well, here's the thing. Like I, my husband jokes, he's like, or when I was in it anyway, he's like, it's almost like you have Stockholm syndrome and you're like afraid. You always feel the need to uh, like preface your critiques of the company. Um, and I still do it today because of course I, and maybe you feel this too. You can tell me there's a part of you that's still grateful for the experience and everything you learned, even the hard lessons, but you can also look back in hindsight and say, Whoa, that was screwed up. What they had us doing, what they had us believing and what all I was sucked into in some parts. Very interesting. Yeah, I have a really good acquaintance on YouTube, uh, Madison from Cruel World, Happy Mind. I love her channel. Oh, yeah. And she was also in a startup like you were. Um, mm-hmm. And she, she talks about the same thing, that hustle that hustle culture mentality that MLMs have. It's through startups too. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And the hustle culture mentality is so, so toxic. Oh it God. is... Um, Oh my gosh, it kills you physically, mentally, and emotionally. Truly, I had to take effort, and I've written about this, so like I don't mind talking about it. I had to take time off, and thankfully, I had a fabulous leader or manager at that point. I mean, the company, it was, you know, it was what it was, but she thankfully believed me when I was like, I need a month off. And she was like, okay. And, you know, she allowed me to still get paid, which is not typical. Um, but yeah, it was when I say it, these things can kill you. It can. And I remember, um, regurgitating the same jargon that I was seeing online. Like, I just want it bad enough. Like, Oh, I don't care. I'm like, you know, I'm living my dream or I'm working hard. (laughs) Like, it's just all this bullshit where you're like, baby, it's okay to like, 
I don't know. And I remember even when I left one startup, deleting social media for years because all of my friends were from work. Like my entire Mm -hmm. identity was where I worked. Um, So I've had to learn the hard way just how, it sounds like we both have learned the hard way, like how toxic um, industries can be. And one thing I wanted to ask you specifically that I, I find fascinating is the, the people at the top, and I know you've talked about this in your videos, but I'd love to talk about it here. How duped or manipulated do you think the top distributors are? And what I mean by that is one girl who I still follow on social media, I've actually muted her because it's all like pro MLM. But um, she's, there are moments where I'm like, I think she genuinely believes this is a fantastic opportunity. And I wonder how many people know things are screwed up and are just smiling through it. And, or do you think everyone is just duped and they've just, uh, they're just drunk on the Kool-Aid? I think the majority are drunk on the Mm -hmm. Mm Kool-Aid. I think that when you start seeing top distributors hop around, to a few different companies, that's when they're starting to wake up. Uh But for example, in my position, when I, I drink the Kool-Aid and it's really easy to believe that you are successful um, because you've worked hard and you've had a positive mindset Mm -hmm. when you have a big network. That's, That's the key. Yeah. Yeah, and I I did have a big network, but they tell you when you first join that, um, oh, no, you just, all you have to do is think positively, and then you have to work really hard, and that's it. Like, if you want this bad enough, if you work hard enough, and you think positively enough, you cannot fail. You will be successful. They never go over their income disclosures with you that say 99.4% don't make money. They never show you the profit loss statements of the majority of distributors. They never talk about numbers because they know the only way to pull you in is through emotional hype. And and so they get you in and then you're love bombed and you're told, don't worry about any of your fears. Like you can do this, disregard those fears, those negative thoughts in your head when really those fears are there for a reason. They're your it's your gut warning you. It's your mm-hmm. instinct. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> no human or animal can stay alive <laughs> without having fear. You know, exactly. <laughs> it keeps us from walking out into the street. Exactly. So, exactly. so you get in and you're love bombed mm-hmm. and you're told you're amazing. You're going to succeed. Tell me all your goals. Tell me your vision. What do you want to pay off? Mm-hmm. Okay. Now share this with the group so that yep. you have accountability. But really that's a cult tactic. Um, mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. I listen, when I would tell those things to my download, I didn't know it was a cult tactic. I just was doing what my upline had taught me to do and what she had done to me and I was successful. So why wouldn't they be successful? Right. right. And it wasn't until later that, um, I had been about three, three and a half years into my first company that I was the most successful with. I was a six figure earner in that company. And, I, our income started going down drastically. Mm-hmm. And I, because basically we sold uh, a health shake and workout DVDs. And I don't know about you, but I haven't bought a DVD in Girl. many years. <laughs> I mean, you, I think I see this on TikTok. Like, I think Gen Z doesn't know 
like, I'm not being funny. Like, I don't think they know what a DVD player is or like now it's like considered an antique. So yeah, I, I, I can see where uh, things started spiraling. Oh yeah. My sister told me that her kids now go around in there. Cause one of my uh, nieces just got uh, her driver's license and that she, she and her friends go around in the car with a CD player, like, <laughs> hooked up to the or like they they only play cds like they won't use bluetooth because they think cds are like vintage now and cool and i'm like what what is going on what is this i was born in 86 so i'm just like that no i'm never buying a dvd player again i'm never buying a cd again oh my god oh my sorry i i just need a moment of silence for what youth i felt and oh my god i think we still have i think i still have burned cds in our car okay fabulous so funny and yeah it's hilarious so the we sold dvd programs uh workout programs and you know streaming was starting to pass us by like hulu netflix amazon prime and so our incomes went down and i remember everyone in the top one percent and everybody else in the company was asking everyone above them, hey, what, what can we do? Like, how can we um, earn more money to make up for this loss? Are we going to be able to change the compensation plan? Are we going to be able to be compensated for different products? Like, what do we do? How do we change this? And the CEO and the very, 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 very top 1% started gaslighting everybody. Oh my God. And they started saying things like, no, nothing's changed. You just need to work harder. And... I'm like, no, 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 calm down. Don't Mm-mm. tell them. No, like, <laughs> I can look at my bank account and see the numbers. Exactly. Don't tell me that, mm-hmm. that nothing's changed and I need to work harder. And But they just kept repeating that. It was like they thought if they just kept repeating that and gaslighting everybody that people would just believe it and it, like let it slide. And there was a mass exodus in the company, uh, which had this, this happens in so many MLMs. Um, and I just remember that like <sighs> having – all those cult-like tactics used on me, um, that kind of started to wake me up. Mm -hmm. And I think that happens for a lot of people once they realize um, the tactics are being used on them. Because, you know, when I would go Mm -hmm. to my upline and say things like, hey, my girls are struggling. How do I help them succeed? They really, really want this. You know, they're doing X, Y, and Z, and they're still not making money. How can I help them? And I would be told, oh, well, they just need to work harder or, well, they don't want it bad enough. That's the one that kills me the most. J- please stop saying it. you don't want it bad enough. That is my number. That is the top MLM quote I cannot stand. And they would say, and like the last resort was always, because if, if you're like, well, no, they're working hard enough. Like they're doing this, they're doing that. Then it was always, oh, well, they just must have a negative mindset. <gasps> oh, my Oh wow! This is a toxic positivity to the to a degree. I was yes, yes. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, oh yeah. So base and it, it always goes down to that because this happens in religion a lot too. Because yeah. basically, mm-hmm. when you say somebody has a toxic mindset, mm-hmm. you can't necessarily prove them otherwise. You know, so there's this sacred science that says this is how things are, but yet no matter what you do, you'll never quite reach it, and mm. it becomes so difficult mentally and emotionally to keep going because you are just 
inundated with all this gaslighting and toxic positivity and being told things that aren't true. And you start questioning yourself and you start wondering if you can even trust yourself, if you can Mm -hmm. trust your own opinions, Mm -hmm. uh, which I struggled with a lot when I left the MLM industry. And so, uh, you know, when I would be told that by my upline that, oh, my downline just doesn't want it bad enough, or they're not working hard enough, or they have a negative mindset. Well, once that happened to me, and the CEO and my upline said that that about us, be the top 1% who that we weren't working hard enough, we didn't want it bad enough because our income was going down. That's when I was like, oh, no, now I see what you're doing. Exactly. Like, no. Mm-hmm. However, because I had been so indoctrinated to believe in the MLM industry, I thought it was just that company. I thought... I need to find a good company that will have the distributor's best interest at heart mm-hmm. because this one doesn't. And then after almost six years, I could say, oh, no, 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 no. This is the entire industry. That is a whole word because I know even I can relate to thinking, oh, it's just the employer. And then you you begin to wake up to, um, what, you know, for me, it was hustle culture. For you, it was an MLM. Um and once you had that moment of self-realization, were you because you you're an MLM veteran, you've been in three, you've had success, wild success. Was there a part of you that's like, well, I can't leave because this is all I know? Oh yeah. And but it wasn't just that. It was also I can't leave because I have promoted this and shouted this from the rooftop for mm-hmm. five and a half years, and now I'm going to look like the biggest idiot. And it's almost like sunk cost fallacy too. Like you've invested Mm, so much time, mm, you've mm. invested so much money. Um, And there's so much shame that happens when one decides to leave in the MLM industry, because you see what happens to the other people who leave. Like they are shunned. They, it's like Scientology, you are excommunicated, you're a suppressive person, you're a bad person. Don't ever talk to us again. Like I think it could have been one of your videos. Again, I've been sucking to the. <laughs> I've seen a lot of videos. Of is like they'll tell people, oh, this person left. Block her on Facebook and block oh, yeah. her on social media. Oh yeah, oh yeah, because you're because they now have a negative mindset and you don't want to uh, receive any of their negativity and have it affect you in your business. Wow, you know, you made a parallel to religion. And I think it's really interesting. I had this question anyway, but I can even think about um, growing up in the church and being taught. Not My family members um, are really open-minded, but I do remember being taught at like, you know, church camp and, and youth group, oh, you can't be friends with like non-Christians because like, you know, that's how the devil gets you. <laughs> and, you know, and you kind of get older and you're like, eh, <laughs> isn't fit. That seems okay. Okay. You know, and that's a whole nother podcast episode, but do you think it's a coincidence that the MLM space is largely white and Christian? And I, and I do want to put a disclaimer here. This is my own observation. I have not come across any rhetoric about MLMs, how they relate to class, race, and religion. Um, But it's just an observation I've made. Um, So A, do you think that is a coincidence that the MLM space is largely white and Christian. Um, and if you don't, I would love to know, why do you think there is such like a faith-based foundation? Because just to add to that, I have seen videos where they do bring up God and, and Christ a lot in their like lunch and learns and their like, you know, conference talks that they repost. 
Um, so what, what are some of your thoughts around that? So I am an ex-Christian. I'll just state that. Yeah. And I'm also a woman of color. I'm half Kenyan, Yes. Mm -hmm. but I grew up away from my people (laughs) in, (laughs) in this little (laughs) tiny town of about 20,000 people, 16,000 people in the Midwest in Missouri. And that's where I was raised. And so, Um, I was raised in church. I was, I mean, we were in church like three times a week, at least I was a fundamentalist, non-denominational Christian. They would, you know, speak in tongues, be slain in the spirit, all that drama. And no, it makes perfect sense that, um, there's a correlation between MLMs and religion because, you're not supposed to use critical thinking in either. You are supposed to accept things on blind faith. And if you can't mm-hmm. accept it on blind faith, then you either need to go back and read more self-development or in religion, you need to go mm-hmm. back and read more of the Bible. Like, because you're, boom, you're having a negative mindset or the devil's getting to your mind and you yes. should be able to yes. accept things on blind faith. I had left the yes. church um, after I... After I got divorced, I left an abusive marriage. And it was very interesting Mm -hmm. because people in the church were telling me like, yeah, you should get out of that. Like you should get away. He shouldn't be treating you like that. I was very young. I got married stupid young, like a lot of people in religion do. And from small, Uh exactly from small (laughs) rural communities. And I, so I did, because I I knew I was like, I'm not going to be treated like this. Are you kidding me? And I left and Fortunately, I had family to like lean on during that time because there's a lot of pe- victims of domestic violence who don't have anyone to lean on in those times. Um, but once I left, it was instantly like uh, there was so much judgment. <laughs> and it was like, what? now I was just divorced whore. And, <laughs> and I was like probably 22, 23 at the time. And I just remember thinking, oh, no, like, wait, you guys told me what? I should leave. It was an abusive marriage. Um, oh, I had proof of that. And now all of a sudden I'm this bad person. And so I left the church. Um but I hadn't fully deconverted yet, but I left the church. I did not go back to church for many years. However, by the time, maybe like five years later, four or five years later, by the time an MLM came into my orbit, I was really missing that community that oh. I had been mm-hmm. raised in, in the church. Yep. And mm-hmm. I think looking back, because I'm 34 now, I think there's a lot of unhealthy codependency that happens in church communities and also in the MLM world. Uh, but I couldn't see that at the time. And I just remember being so infatuated with the sisterhood yes. and the community of the MLM industry and all the positivity where they're just like rooting you on and cheering for mm-hmm. you. And, you know, they got your back no matter what. And I just was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like, <laughs> I've been looking for this. And it's that love bombing, which uh-huh. I mean, you know, happens in abusive relationships, even outside of MLMs. And it's been interesting to almost hike back to the pandemic that we were talking about at the top of the hour. I've seen people say things like I'm, and maybe this is genuinely how they feel, but say things like I'm so lucky that I have a group of girls who I can call on during this pandemic and I don't feel alone. And that where I was like, wow, I'm sure that is really seductive and alluring to people, especially right now. Um, so right. that is not shocking. And, oh, go ahead. 
No, just, yeah. And there's a lot of love bombing in the church that happens too. when somebody is it, I mean, and so I remember when I left my first company, these people that I had been so close with, I mean, I had went to private retreats with them, spent the night with them, met their families, met their spouses, their kids, um, you know, talked to them almost every day online. And all of a sudden I was blocked without a word. And I just remember thinking, are you serious? Like I thought our friendship could withstand Mm -hmm. a business. Was it not as strong as we had all been saying it was? And I remember a couple months after leaving my first company, um, my best friend of eight years who had joined uh, under me in that company, which I think it's a, it's a huge mistake to number one, join an MLM company, but then to join and have your friends join as well. Yeah. It creates this, this really weird dynamic between friendships. And she was upset that I had left the first company. She was upset that I was speaking out against the CEO. And when she had been wanting to leave that company as well, but I think my upline, when I left, kind of like swooped in and brought her into her little tight knit group and love bombed her and, you know, made her believe like, Oh, you don't need Josie. You don't need your upline. Like, don't worry. I got you. And she, (laughs) she said, I don't know who you are anymore. You're such a negative person and I can't be friends with you anymore. And before I had a chance to reply, because I'm one of those people, if I get stressed or something, I kind of like shut down and, and I need time to like think about things. And so I didn't reply right away. And that night on the same day, when I went back to the messages to like reply, I realized that she had blocked me on every single platform and we never spoke again. And only like a year and a half later, she ended up leaving the company herself. Wow. Did she ever reach back? If you're comfortable talking about it, did she end up reaching back out even after never. she left? And never MLMs destroy relationships. Like if you have a good relationship with somebody in an MLM and you guys leave it and you're still, or one of you leaves and you're still able to continue that good relationship down the road, that is, um, not the normal. That is not the norm. And you're, you should consider yourself fortunate (laughs) because MLMs, unfortunately they destroy relationships. You, you bring up a good point. Um, and I want to ask you again, with what you're comfortable sharing, because this is going to get more into your personal life, did you have loved ones or family members trying to get you out of the MLMs, at, you know, throughout your journey with them? Um, maybe in the very, very beginning, I had some family members who would question it, but I'm a pretty outspoken person. And so mm-hmm. when I believe in something, I'm able to just be like, oh no, this is why I believe in it. This is yada, yada, yada. And I, you know, I, I, I'm able to just like answer any questions they have. Um, but it's really hard for friends and family to question you when you start being really successful at it and making money. And, you know, like I was able to quit my job 16 months in to doing it. Um, as a hairstylist, I was able to stop doing that full time. So, you know, they wouldn't really question it, but when I got out, I do remember, um, it was actually this year I was talking with my oldest sister about something. And I said, I don't know what I said. We're talking about the MLM industry. And I said something about how stressed I was all the time. And she said, Oh yeah, I remember how stressed you were. And I was like, you do? Because I thought 
I was hiding it well. Like I thought that I looked happy and positive to anybody around me. And she said, oh yeah, like I remember you would leave family lunches early because you had to go try and hit your quota for the month. Like I always remember you were so stressed. And I didn't realize that anybody saw that, but I guess the cracks were showing through. And I just want, I hope I, like that comes in loud and clear because the image that's portrayed like, oh, work from anywhere. I'm working by the pool, drinking wine. Like, don't you want to be a part of this? It's like, that's not, the, the lifestyle isn't real. It's all a facade. And the vacations that we would earn, they, they couldn't even be considered a vacation because yes, you get to go to a nice destination and it's beautiful. And I was very grateful for that. However, you are working your whole time there because basically your vacations are meant to be one big example and recruitment tool mm-hmm. on social mm-hmm. media for why people should join. So all you're doing there is taking pictures and videos nonstop. You're not able to enjoy yourself. And then you're supposed to be trying to recruit people while you're on that trip constantly um, to be like, you could be here. You could be here too. Don't you want to be here next year? Exactly. They're after one of the big conferences. uh, I don't, I don't know how this person found out this information, but from what I hear it, I don't know if it's written in the rules, but there's like a very, uh, strong suggestion if you will that you have to always be showing like designer bags and like a really lavish lifestyle and you should always be posting on social media and um that there's a lot of pressure there to promote the lifestyle even if you know that it's all bs there is and even even when I was making good money, you know, money that I I never was able to make or earn as a hairstylist, I I still didn't feel comfortable showing my life like that online. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had purchased a nice, really nice car about two years in, um, and I had driven. I had been driving, I was like maybe 28 or nine at the time. And I had been driving the same car since high school uh, that oh from when God. I graduated yeah. and it was, it was falling apart. It was on its last mm-hmm. leg, but you know what? I didn't have any payments and it was also a Toyota when <laughs> they last forever. <laughs> we have a Prius and like my, my husband, he drove. My husband has a Prius. Oh, I love them. Okay. I, I love them. <laughs> Y'all, y'all, I will be I, Prius till I die now. And my, cause he, he made the decision. We share a car. He was driving his high school car that he got at 16. He was what, 31 maybe when we got the Prius. Like when I say Toyotas last forever, they oh, yeah. last forever. And then we were still able to sell that POS for like parts. Cause people were like, Hey, it's, it's a Toyota. Yeah. We'll take it. So, Oh yeah. It's insane. It's absolutely, they're wonderful. Toyotas are so yeah. wonderful. I have a Toyota again now, but I bought a luxury car. I bought it used. It was a Mercedes. And you know, I remember then like my upline, like telling me to like show it more and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I maybe posted it on social media three times, no more than three times in several years because I just, I, f- I didn't feel comfortable doing, I wasn't raised like that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it just felt, I don't know. It just felt icky. Um, and that thing ended, the engine ended up going out on that stupid thing anyway, like the year after I left and I wasn't able to like put $7,000 into it. So I had to get rid of it anyway. And now I'm back to a Toyota, but it's great. I love my Toyota. It's wonderful, but it's just, you know, 
it is, it's constantly like you're, they're basically any recruit now, um, you're, they try and turn you into an influencer because oh. they want you to recruit anybody and everybody and their dog. Oh yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> Speaking of, uh, there's even dog MLMs and it's, uh, or, you know, they sell like pet care stuff. Oh so. no. I have a loaded question for you that I don't even have the answer to myself, but you'll, um, maybe you do. Do you think MLMs should be illegal and, or do you believe, Hey, it's a mixed cocktail of transparency and buyer beware. And, you know, they shouldn't be illegal. I don't like them, but they shouldn't be illegal. Where do you stand on that? I mean, you know, the words MLM and transparency are an oxymoron. (laughs) So I, I just will be honest. I feel that MLM should not be allowed to run here in the U.S. Uh, There are many other developed Mm -hmm. countries who have stronger protections in place for their citizens. And guess what? MLMs don't prosper there (laughs) because because of the rules and regulations that these other developed countries have in place to protect their consumers. And that's how it should be here. Unfortunately, it's not. Um, I would love for them all to be away. Go away. Mm -hmm. If they don't all go away, I think the second best thing would be for um, the MLM model to only be selling and no recruitment whatsoever. That, okay. And and when I think about it, while I'm like washing dishes and pondering life's great questions, and I'm like thinking about this, I'm like, that part, because it's the recruiting aspect that I think gets really murky um so but I was always just curious and before we get into the rapid fire my final question I have is if somebody's listening and maybe they have a loved one who's in an NLM do you have any advice on how to broach these topics or do you believe hey they have to realize you know they they have to realize these things on their own I just had somebody recently email me and she was really upset because her sister is an ex MLM member. Um, and she had been out for a while, but she was like, my sister is not the same person she used to be. She's depressed. She's, she's just not the same. And I want my sister back. Is there anything I can do to help her? And what I told her was that, it's really important to educate yourself um, before approaching your friend or loved one, because if you just approach out of the blue, it probably won't go well. And if they're feeling how I did when I left, she will think that talking critically about an MLM will make her a negative person because that's part of the cult brainwashing. So for me, I listened to the book Combating Cult Mind Control. I, I listened to it on Audible and it changed everything for me. I wished I had listened to that book when I first left the MLM industry. Uh, Combating Cult Mind Control was written by a man named Stephen Hassan. He's a psychologist and a cult expert. He was a member of the Moonies in the 70s. And he has worked with so many families to help get loved ones out of cults. And he specifically mentions MLM being a cult because it fits the bite model. And the bite model is a tool that's used globally to recognize if a group is a cult or a high control organization. And BITE stands for behavior, information, thought, and emotional control. And so once you start understanding those things and how cults work and how they warp your mind to control your behavior, 
things really start to make a lot of sense. So I know when I left the MLM industry, I was tired, I was drained, I was depressed. Um, And so when you open up to a friend or a loved one, I would start out by maybe asking them if they know the definition of toxic positivity. Mm -hmm. Because understanding toxic positivity was one of the biggest revelations for me. And once I understood it, I could look back and see exactly how it had been used on me and not just an MLM either. And once I understood that toxic positivity is an emotional manipulation tactic used to keep people silent and complicit, I wasn't afraid to open up anymore. That is brilliant. And I'll make sure to put all of the resources in the show notes. Um, I just want to, like, I'm fascinated. So thank you so much, Josie. And with that, we're going to get into the rapid fire. So you can answer these as, um, you know, an ex MLMer or just, um, as a hairstylist or, or an influencer, however you want. But that said, uh, five questions. The first is when was a time either professionally or personally that you realized the right thing and the hard thing were the same? Hmm. (laughs) I would say the first one was, I mean, I've probably experienced that many times in life, but one of the first ones would be leaving the MLM industry because it was really, really hard because everybody around you and everybody you talk to regularly is saying, this is the way, this is the thing that's going to help you succeed. But you know, it's just not right. And even if you can't verbalize it like I could, so that would be the number one. But then even more so, when it came time to put that video out um, Mm -hmm. about my experience, I just knew I couldn't stay silent. And it it was really hard. That was so hard for me to just, to basically just (laughs) say, Hey, everything I promoted for almost six years and shouted from the rooftop and recruited people to was completely wrong because you're forced to admit that you're not just a victim, you are a perpetrator. Mm, And mm. that, that is so hard because there's so much shame and guilt around it. But once you can just come out about it and say, I screwed up, I'm sorry, this is not good. This is not good for these reasons. And I wish I had never recruited anybody. You can breathe again. I love that. Wow. And what is your favorite way to celebrate big and small wins in your life? Huh. (laughs) I feel like (laughs) life has changed so much since the pandemic. Oh, my Um, God. (laughs) You know, like, I mean... I we never go out anymore, and <laughs> I have like, and I'm glad I'm, I'm starting to see more people talk about it. Like, I really do have like social anxiety where I, because um, I ended up having like a like a belated birthday get together with friends, and I was saying to my husband, I'm like, what what do we talk about? Like, I felt like I lost so much social, um, I don't know, intelligence over the yeah. last year. So yeah, and and now I'm like, uh. My husband's like, do you want to go out for dinner tonight? I'm like, actually, can we just get a pizza and call it a night? <laughs> That's literally what I'm doing later. I'm going and getting a gluten-free pizza and, <laughs> and bringing it home. I mean, yeah. So I would say, you know, how I celebrate wins is honestly now – I guess it might not seem like a celebration, but it is helping me live a better life. And that's through therapy. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. I have a therapist I see once a week. Um, 
when I get anxious, I can tend to ruminate over something mm-hmm. that my therapist yeah. always like, you need to stop ruminating. Like you ruminate all the time. Like it's not yes. healthy. Yes. <laughs> and exactly. so she, she'll tell me just like, you know, like, do, t- like be mindful and be here in the present. Um, and don't think about like the future or make up scenarios in your head that haven't happened. <laughs> Hi, me. Hi. I'd like to introduce you to me and you. And I see a therapist as well. I've been going to therapy off and on for 11 years. And nice. yeah, that is exactly what we talk about all the time, rumination. And yes, I love that answer because, um, and that's one thing that I do hope um, in my life, I see mental health be more, be a free resource because it, it's, awful that you have to have privilege to, you know, be able to afford to see a therapist. But if you can't afford it, or if you do have resources, I think therapy is like the best thing you can give yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, what is the one thing about wealth management or business that few people know, but you wish everyone knew? I would say there is a video on a YouTube channel by the YouTuber called Cold Fusion. And he has a very interesting video up about things that I have been studying lately. And it's titled like um, Reddit versus Wall Street. (gasps) And it has to do with the GameStop uh, shares and everything that's going on with that. Mm -hmm. And I would say to watch that and also watch the big short oh, because yes. Yes. there are so many things going on behind the scenes financially that we don't even see or, or know about because mm-hmm. we're kept busy fighting over our differences. And yes, what's yes, actually going on and happening behind the scenes is terrifying. But if you can empower yourself and educate yourself on it, it's so eye opening. Um, And I think that learning about that can help you make smarter decisions for your future. That you, first of all, you're dropping like all the resource gems this episode. So thank you. (laughs) But all I can say, because again, that could be a whole nother episode plus one. And the second to last question is complete this sentence. The best way to handle a toxic work environment is to blank. The best way to handle a toxic work environment is to know that it has nothing to do with you Mm -hmm. and to get out. Producer Jordan put in some like hallelujah music in the background for us. (laughs) That's everything. And the final question is, um, I know you're not active on social media or, you know, you're not a big public figure, but um, is there, where can people keep up with you, whether it's your YouTube channel or anything else you'd love to promote? Yeah. So on YouTube, I'm not the good girl. And (laughs) I deactivated my social accounts uh, September of 2020. So hasn't been a full year yet. I don't know if I'll get them back. We'll see. We will see. Um, But yeah, I'm on YouTube and that's where I'm at. This is so perfect. Josie, thank you so much for being on. Um, Guys, again, I'll put all of the resources um, in the show notes and please make sure to check out Josie on YouTube. And with that, I will talk to you next time.